With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are. It's uh, part of the fun of having a global uh, podcast. We never know what time zone we're in. And Stefan, where are you at today? I am in Bogota today, so I am pretty excited for doing this from another remote location. Hey, listen, we, we love, you know, kind of the uh, traveling crypto hobo thing you got going on. So it's absolutely awesome just to, that's right. Yeah, just, just keep moving around. Um, so today we've got a really interesting one with uh, OVR. And so I don't really want to uh, talk about us too much. Um, Diego, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, that's great. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's a we, pleasure. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have you. So let's just go ahead and, and before we get into OVR and everything that you've re- already done and accomplished today, how, let's, let's kind of take a few steps back. How did we get here and, you know, who are you and, and, you know, give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so of course. So my name is Diego Di Tommaso. I'm the co-founder and CEO of OVR. So basically we launched this project uh, back in 2018 and uh, then it went public in 2020. Uh, before doing that, uh, I was uh, in consultancy. Uh, I've been working and collaborating with PwC, uh, first in finance, then in uh, operations, uh, uh, optimi- optimization operation in fashion, because uh, this is my former background, and then in open innovation. So before doing that, um, uh, I had a family company working in fashion, in fast fashion, actually, that we sold in 2012. So basically, I moved from uh, like being an entrepreneur, coming back being a, a consultant, and then being back a, an entrepreneur with OVR. And before that, I mean, my studies a, a little bit uh, uh, not so, uh, let's say, uh, uh, a little bit different because uh, I have a degree in philosophy and political sciences, and then I did an MBA. So. Uh, I move uh, around the space of knowledge a lot, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and, so, so clearly, you know, you you had success, you had an exit, you took some time, <clears throat> and then you've come back in. But there's a lot of it seems like a lot of symbiotic uh, traits to to what you were doing back then and and what you're trying to do now. You know, what what was the what was the thesis you originally had? You know, that brought you to OVR. Yeah, so basically, um, I mean, I I went in the rabbit hole of blockchain in 2014 when I heard the first time about Bitcoin. And uh, I mean, since then, uh, I mean, my passion on, on this uh, technology, on this new, uh, I would say, uh, coordination technology uh, grows stronger and stronger. So 2017, I get even more inside the, this uh, ecosystem, also starting mining, and and then so basically in 2018, uh, really my mind was uh, so much projected in this direction. So the way it happened that basically we started uh, this company uh, is because uh, in Udine, my hometown here in Italy, I founded a club uh, that is uh, basically sponsoring uh, events on startups. So every month uh, we create an event on a vertical and we invite some startups to pitch. And uh, on that club, I met uh, my co-founder, Davide Coutini, that actually he was running a company uh, building VR and AR for B2B. 
So he was running this company since 10 years. And so basically we, we started talking, actually back then we started talking about, about AI because one was one of my passions. And in 2017, uh, I've been uh, learning to code in Python because I was trading uh, with uh, bots, uh, with uh, machine learning and so on. That didn't work, but I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned coding. So it's, it's a good thing at the end of the day. And so we start talking and basically uh, we start to imagine if actually we could scale uh, the know-how that uh, it had in, on this company and to go out from B2B and create a platform, uh, a platform to actually, that, that can actually scale. So we saw, uh, uh, we saw the central end uh, and we was very um, uh, fascinated by what they were doing specifically in VR. And so we think that there was a very a, a big opportunity to do this in AR also because our thesis is that actually AR will be bigger than VR. So, uh, so we saw that uh, in the landscape, there was few companies already trying to do that, uh, but we would believe that we could do something much more better. And so that's, that's the way uh, we started. You know, it's always interesting and, and Stefan will probably agree. It's, you know, I'm, da- I know enough code to be dangerous to screw something up. Um, but, but obviously, you know, that's something to be left to the professionals. And, you know, so your, your kind of journey of going, you know, into AI and needing to understand it is very helpful. You know, for one, I'm sure you're working with your teams and, and going out. Um, your comments about AR, I think are very relevant. I think that, um, you know, it's going to be very difficult for people to want to live, you know, uh, their lives behind behind a screen and, and be in a total virtual environment, um, but you know everyone's glued to their to their mobile devices. Um, I think that the 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 concept of more AR um, is really relevant, and we've seen Google in the past. Uh, they they dropped their Google Glass uh, that they had for a while, but for a long time, and right around I think the years you're talking about, seventeen ish, um, they were very very heavy in this. Correct. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, our, our thesis is that basically VR will be very big and, of course, we'll grow from here. Uh, but the point is that at the end of the day, we are uh, physical beings. We live in physical space. And having on you an headset that is totally occlusive, uh, it can be done for a few hours a day, maybe. Uh, but it's not what we're going to do uh, consistently during the day. And also we see, uh, I mean, a technological trajectory that is going in the direction of augmented reality, so of merging the physical and the virtual. If you think about that, we moved from oral history to books, then to mainframes, desktops, laptops. Now we have mobile phones. I mean, everybody stares at these mobile phones from five to eight hours on average per day, or anyway, is in front of a screen for so much time. So uh, we see, I mean, that information that is getting closer and closer to our visual field. And I mean, and the glasses, the smart glasses will be just the next step to that. And also because, I mean, we are very good. I mean, our brain is, uh, uh, is I mean, uh, is made to work in 3D space. And so having information displayed in this way will be much more effective. Also, if you think about that, uh, many brands, I mean, like, for example, Google and Apple are spending billions to actually improve this augmented reality technology. And also, if you think about that, when you see a product in augmented reality, the impression that gives you uh, is much more stronger than anything that you can see on a 2D screen. So we are very, very convinced that this is going to be the future, and that is why uh, we are here now. Love it, love it. So um, let's dive right in. OVR. Over the reality. Let's let's uh, um, give give us the uh, the elevator pitch and then the deep dive. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. So basically, uh, what uh, OVR is, is a platform to create an augmented reality metaverse. So in this metaverse, we, uh, we combine basically two technologies. So one uh, is uh, the blockchain that is used for ownership, uh, so to, to be in this Web3 movement. And the second one is the geolocalized augmented reality. So at the very and so so just coming back on what is a metaverse because you know there's many uh, many definitions of this and then nobody really knows what it is because it's just a buzzword right now. So uh, we and so so let, let's try to see what we mean uh, for metaverse. So for us, a metaverse, specifically an augmented reality metaverse, is a fusion between the physical and the virtual. And this, in our, in our in our vision, is enabled by what is called geolocalized AR, so augmented reality that is anchored to specific locations. Uh, mo more than this, uh, a metaverse for us is a, a place where you meet people, you play, uh, you can build this metaverse and you can own it thanks to Web3 paradigm, uh, but also you can earn. I mean, we saw the potential uh, of play to earn, and so we believe that successful metaverses uh, will give the opportunity to do something uh, that is uh, meaningful also economically to, for people. And finally, as I mentioned before, I mean, uh, we believe that uh, augmented reality will be the new medium uh, that we will use uh, uh, for information in the next future to, to, to actually interact with information in the next future. You know, the, so, the only, yeah. yeah, the only problem I have is we really need to find a new name for metaverse. I agree. Cause now that mm -hmm. Facebook has kind of stolen the word meta, um, it, it just no longer encompasses what the movement used to be. So, yeah. um, but, but no, absolutely everything else, you know, everything you say, I agree with. And I think it's a, a really interesting points. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe we should call it uh, openverse. I don't know. I mean, maybe to distinguish, to, dis to distinguish us from the closed metaverse. You know that. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, uh, I like that way better than metaverse. I, I'll, I'll we'll give you credit <laughs> if that catches uh, catches fire here. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, coming back so, to our platform, so uh, uh, OVR uh, can be conceptualized as made up of three main layers. So the first layer is an ownership layer. So basically, uh, we break down the world in hexagons of 300 square meters, and we call those spatial domains. So just like in the web, you have web domains, and basically, if you own a web domain, you can publish the content uh, on that website. In our case, those spatial domains are geographic coordinates. So for example, if you buy an OVR land, an NFT representing uh, the Colosseum, you will have publishing rights over there. So you will decide what will be the augmented reality content that will be anchored to that location. So that users of the platform, when we be, will be there, will be able to see the, uh, the experience that you decided. So with their uh, mobile phones right now and with their smart glasses in the future. So uh, this layer uh, is built uh, on NFT standard. Uh, right now, we are, we are on Ethereum, but actually, we are in the process of moving to Polygon because of the gas fees and the scalability issues. Up to now, we sold uh, 750,000 of uh, this uh, virtual lens to uh, more than 25,000 uh, users out there. And so this is uh, the base layer, and so the ownership layer, and what also basically distributes uh, this platform to the users. So they have control and they really own this and we cannot take away this property from them. Um, so the second layer, it's uh, for us a crucial, a very important layer that we call, we call it the mapping layer. So 
anybody uh, that wants to create something like we're doing, so wants to merge the physical and the virtual world, has a problem to face. So the problem that they need to face is that right now, geolocalized augmented reality is based on GPS. And GPS is not precise. So uh, outdoor is between two to six meters, indoor 20 meters, or even doesn't work. So for some use cases, this is okay. So in fact, if you think about that, the most successful use case of uh, augmented reality is Pokemon Go. Why is that? Because Pokemon Go uses GPS and doesn't need for accuracy. If you are collecting Pokemons, you don't care where they are. If they are in front of the door or outside on the other side of the street, it's the same for you. You just need to collect those. But if, like us, you want really to merge physical and virtual, you need precision. If you want to put an avatar outside of a shop or inside a shop, you need to be precise. You want to, uh, I don't know, announce... Uh, uh, a, a, a building, you want to showcase the building, how it will be, or how, for example, the Colosseum, how it was before, you need to be precise when you augment that location. So, uh, in order to do that, you need to have a system that has accurate localization, need to be ubiquitous and reliable and accessible. So, everybody needs to do that. So, this is what we've been working on in the last uh, six months. And basically, uh, what we can, um, came out with is a solution that from uh, pictures uh, from normal mobile phones, so no fancy phone with LiDAR, uh, the $200 smartphone that everybody can have is in his pocket, you can take pictures of a location. And from that pictures, we produce uh, two kinds of things. So first of all, we create a 3D map so that when you want to place assets in space, you have a reference. Uh, of the actual location. And secondly, more importantly, we train a neural network so that the next time a camera sees that location, understands where it is in space with 20 centimeters accuracy. is mimicking basically what our brain is doing. When you go in a room, uh, you see the location. When you come back, you understand where you are because you understand what's the surroundings. So this is... Um, a very important activity that will set us apart from anybody that wants to do that. And also is a great opportunity to engage our community. So, right. Yeah. So, so I've, a couple of questions on, on this right now, because it, you know, lots, you're, you're using some heavy AI, um, and probably lots of, lots of different, uh, solutions here. Are, are these, and I see proprietary, um, are you using on chain or are you using, uh, traditional SaaS based, uh, AI at this point? No, so basically, uh, the uh, the algorithms uh, have been built by us and are based on open source technology. Okay. So uh, all the algorithms are, are run by us. So we we don't pay anybody to do that. And this is an important point to bring on because uh, nobody can build this as a freemium model if he needs to pay some other company uh, to develop this. So, for example, uh, Microsoft on Niantic has this technology. But, for example, uh, again, with Microsoft, if you want to use the, the, this technology, you need to pay them every time you re relocate. So yep. this cannot work. So this is another big barrier to entry. So if you want to do that, you need to build your own. Otherwise, this will be economically unfeasible. And regarding the on-chain, of course, uh, this heavy data is not crunched uh, on-chain because that would be unfeasible. Uh, what will be on chain will be the result of this. So the 3D map that we will generate will be an NFT, and this NFT will be owned by the creator of this map. 
And basically, this map, so this will be a way to earn in the metaverse, another way to earn in the metaverse. So basically, us as OVR and also the owners of the land probably uh, will pay for this activity. So our uh, moonshot, our crazy vision, uh, let's call it uh, anyway, is uh, basically to be able to map uh, all of the locations that have been sold in the next year. So as I was mentioning, right now we sold uh, 750,000 locations. Uh, but uh, on the other side, uh, in the last year, we also sent uh, our community to 1.5 million locations to play to a game very similar to Pokemon Go, in which we distribute our tokens and NFT from other projects. So we will take this community and we'll tell them, look, if you want, we give you another opportunity to earn in this metaverse. In this time, not playing, but mapping the world. Basically, the activity is very similar. You just need to go in places. But while going in places, instead of only collecting assets like Pokemons or so on, you also need to take pictures of that location. And you will generate an NFT that will be yours, and we can buy it from you, or the owners of the land can buy it from you. Now, now as, as technology continues to increase and camera resolutions continue to increase as well, are these maps updatable? I understand they're on-chain, but are they going to continue to evolve as, as the world evolves around them? Or is the, what's on-chain going to be static? No, no, that's a good point. So basically, on-chain, there will be uh, the result of uh, the computation. Uh, but of course, uh, the, the database uh, of the pictures of the raw data that we use uh, will be still owned by uh, the person that created it or the buyer of the NFT. So uh, these maps are always, uh, it's always possible to upgrade those. Okay. And this is not only made by taking new pictures, but it's also made through new algorithms because there is a, an incredible growth and uh, acceleration in the technology used to transform 2D pictures in 3D maps and also in the relocalization. So this raw data uh, is very valuable because uh, can be used and reused. And also you can take, again, pictures in the location, uh, making the map and the relocalization even more uh, precise and robust. Because if you take, for example, the pictures of the location both in winter and in summer, and so you have variance uh, on that location, uh, you can be even more robust when you relocate assets in space. So this is a continuous, it can be uh, a continuous effort. Yeah, no, and, and I'm very familiar with, with the AR space, one of the companies I own. Uh, we do 3D uh, scanning and mapping of residential and commercial facilities. And so, you know, we, we and what we use is these, you know, ten to $20,000, uh, you know, in some, ty- in some cases we have got a $50,000, you know, LiDAR, uh, you know, AR, AR yeah, scanners. Yeah, the, the big crazy ones. Um, and, and, you know, the, the precision is down to, you know, millimeters. Um, and so that's, that was my question is, you know, as it gets more upgradable and the price of those things come down, um, you know, how, how finite are these things going to continue to get refined? Um, but no, that's, that's absolutely fascinating and, and clearly the direction the technology is going. So we'll have seen this. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, it's very good that technology is, is uh, moving and moving. I mean, our uh, pr- uh, pr- big priority in this uh, was to uh, take this technology and uh, make it usable uh, to as much people as we can. And so the, the, real, the real complexity here is to use uh, uh, hardware for this that is not uh, uh, LiDAR-based. 
because of course with LiDAR and lasers, you can create amazing things. But since we need a community effort to do this, <laughs> uh, we need that we need to allow everybody to actually well, use that. Listen, I've got, I, I have one here in, in, uh, in the shop of the LiDARs and I think five more on order and that they've been on order for the last seven months. So even if you wanted to uh, do it, the, the equipment yeah, doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> you cannot do that. Yeah. Yeah. And also there is another interesting thing about that is basically, uh, Nobody can really map the whole world. Uh, I mean, uh, we are not even us. We are not so crazy to think that we can do that. Uh, but uh, we uh, think that uh, I mean, already mapping the locations that have been bought will be very, very valuable because basically, if you think about that, this is a wisdom of the crowds because people bought lands and voted with their tokens, with their wealth because they bought the, those lands. And so the, the, the lands that have been bought in the map, if you see, if you go on our website and you check out the map of locations that have been bought, I mean, uh, the community uh, have been basically buying the most important places in the world. So if already we start mapping this, we will have a very interesting critical mass of locations with a lot of traffic and, I mean, famous locations. So uh, the, the idea is not to map the whole world, is to map important places in the world. Perfect. Yeah, I'm curious on that. On the on, from a revenue model perspective, too, are you pretty much relying mostly on like an exclusive, like your own ecosystem thing? Because it feels like all this mapping data, there's lots of people who would buy it, right? I mean, are you looking at kind of more of a traditional, like whatever, sell it to Google Maps, etc., type play as well, and then just rev share back to the owners, or are you really looking to stay purely in the crypto kind of metaverse space? Yeah, so uh, the ownership of these maps uh, uh, is not really ours unless we buy it. So, uh, of course, uh, the, the ones that we buy, uh, so I, I talk about the ones that we will own. So about the lens that we will own, so the first uh, use case uh, will be, of course, on our platform. Uh, but as you mentioned, this data will be very, very valuable uh, because nobody can build a metaverse, uh, an augmented reality metaverse without the mapping or without the raw, ma- raw data for mapping. So, I mean, as we go towards this direction of, uh, AR, uh, smart glasses, and so on, more and more uh, companies uh, will see the value in this. And so, I mean, in our in our perspective, we will use it on our platform. And why not uh, also letting others use uh, these maps that uh, was generated? So we are totally open to that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, the first uh, use case will be on our platform. Uh, but we are more than happy to, I mean, uh, also allow other people to use uh, this data, of course, uh, with a revenue yeah. model. Yeah, it'd be really interesting too, right? If you have a whole marketplace to be able to say, hey, I'm whatever, Microsoft, and I need this location, right? And it, I don't have a map. <clears throat> it's going to be a huge hassle to do myself. It's owned by these 74 people. I can just pay them to to buy the mapping data on that. So I think, I mean, be interesting to be able to, especially in the play-to-earn side, I guess, right? Where you suddenly where you're just aggregating and building a marketplace. Actually, I'm curious on that. How much are you looking to kind of go more into the gaming space versus the, like, actually, like, providing physical mapping data, right? Is this more of a B2B play, or are you looking really to go on the the kind of direct-to-consumer game, et cetera, side? Yeah, so basically, in our case, uh, uh, we are, uh, I mean, uh, a very horizontal platform. So uh, we, our, our, our main goal here is to build the platform side, not really to de- develop the vertical use cases. So uh, we, uh, of course, we would love uh, our platform to be used by companies and, and other businesses, uh, but it's not that our play is really to build for them vertical use cases. So 
our main focus right now is to build the tools, all the tooling to make this uh, metaverse platform usable by anybody. Uh, the first uh, people we think about is final users, so B2C. Uh, but of course, this technology can be used also by other companies. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I mean, this is uh, uh, our vision. So building a platform that can be used uh, uh, by both, so both B2C and B2B, uh, but more focus on B2C, I would say. Interesting. And then, so you allow other, like, whatever, let's say I want to be a build Pokemon Go again, and I want to build it based on real mapping data. I can use your mapping data and build on top of your platform without having to actually, like, rebuild the whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, this also brings me to the third layer of our platform, that is this SDK. So basically, uh, what is already out there, it's um, two kinds of SDKs or builders. So one is a web builder, where you just drag and drop uh, 3D files. So you don't need to be a coder to use that. Uh, it's, it's quite easy. So you publish content in space. But then we have also a much more powerful and expressive tool that is a Unity plugin. So with that Unity plugin, if you can code, actually you can code logics, you can code games. I mean, and with this coding, with this uh, experience, you can use uh, all of the rest of the layers that I was describing. So you can use the mapping and you can use the ownership uh, uh, below that. So, yeah, the, the, the real vision is to create uh, the most, I mean, two kind. We, we focus on two kinds of users. So the power user that can create games and complex interaction and the not so sophisticated in terms of uh, coding user that can actually just publish something in augmented reality anyway. So, yeah, and, and then moving on to, to, to where we are right now, just trying to, to give you what we see as the path to the metaverse. No? So we started with this decentralized ownership, so the, the, the base layer I was mentioning. Uh, land scanning is just starting now, so we are going to release... Uh, uh, it's scheduled tomorrow, uh, maybe it will be on Monday, but anyway, the alpha version will be out of this mapping software. This will be in alpha probably for one month, and then we will release it to all public because we need to uh, fine-tune the user experience because we need to be sure that it's easy to create these maps. And then, of course, we have the SDK that is running. So we believe that why we develop these layers in the next year, I mean, the, this platform will be more and more usable uh, by the, anybody that wants to create uh, uh, these kind of experiences. How many users did you say you have today? Yeah, so basically right now we have uh, 450 k Yeah, I got I, pr slide, I uh, promise yeah. I've never <laughs> seen this slide. I have no idea. It's just the questions are flowing, and, and you, you have done yeah, yeah, clearly yeah. Your, your research on how I operate with questions, and that, that's about <laughs> as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah so basically we have uh, around half a million users, and uh, those users went to 1.4 million uh, locations to actually uh, collect uh, uh, assets, digital assets that I was mentioning you in this kind of uh, Pokemon Go game. That actually uh, is something very interesting because we start distributing our tokens. And then since we saw that this is work was working very well, we started onboarding other projects. So many projects that are NFT projects that just dropped the 10,000 NFTs and now they're building the next thing about their project. But uh, with us, they have an opportunity to immediately gamify uh, this asset. So the first thing that we do with them is a treasure hunt. Uh, so the, 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 the bigger collector will get an actual NFT or more actual NFTs from the project. So, uh, And this is working very well. It's a win-win because we onboard their community. We bring their community to them. 
So everybody's happy and we are doing it every week. We have a new project doing that. So 1.4 million location with this kind uh, of experience that are already been visited by, by our users. The people that right now are playing to this game out of this uh, 540,000 users is around 100,000. And every day, I mean, uh, with new projects, we more more. Uh, the app uh, has been downloaded, downloaded around 300,000 times. As I was mentioning before, 750,000 land sold, 30 employees uh, for the moment, and yeah, $7 million generated uh, in the last 12 months uh, from the land sales, basically. Uh, in terms of employees, uh, I mean, maybe it doesn't look a big number, but for us it's very big because uh, uh, in December 2020, when we launched the project, it was in four people. So in the last year, basically, we scale, I mean, uh, was was a mess because, you know, moving from four to 30 people is very complex. Uh, we did it. So now uh, in the next year, we expect to get to, to 60 people. And, and then we think, yeah. What's what's the breakup of that team? How many, you know, where, how are you uh, allocating assets and, and uh, development? Yeah. Uh, Sorry, assets and development. How, how are you? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, human assets. So, where, what's the breakup of you know essentially sales, marketing versus the, yeah. the actual development team that's that's doing the coding? Yeah. So we are more. Uh, I mean, we are almost developers. So okay. uh, I would say that seventy uh, percent of them are developers, and the rest are spread between marketing and uh, of course the direction of, of the company uh, so uh, our vision is that we are very strong in building a, a software a little bit less strong probably uh, in the marketing side in fact in the next year we're gonna also grow a lot uh, on that direction uh, this is kind of normal because we come from from that side so basically as i was mentioning you we started from a company that was doing a, a b2b uh, software development so uh, it was easier for us to grow in that direction than on the marketing side. Uh, but, I mean, we see, we, see, we see the value there, and so that's uh, also where we're going to push more and more. As a, as a personal note, the reason I ask is because I much prefer, as early stage as you are, that your focus is on the development, it is on the code, it's building a good foundation. Um, and that's not always what we see. We, sometimes we see it flipped, where it's everything's sales, everything's marketing, everything's yeah. hype, and there's like one poor guy, you know, trying to code an entire, like, universe, <laughs> you know, on... Yeah. On, on a laptop in, in the middle of uh, Zimbabwe. And so, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, clearly with, with your roadmap and the goals that you have, um, you need a, a lot of developers and you need some very talented yeah. developers. Well, it, you said you're coding this in Python? Uh, no, no, no. So, uh, Python is just for uh, okay. the machine learning side. Uh, so basically we use Unity, uh, okay. Ruby on Rails. I mean, we use, of course, uh, Solidity and so on. So yeah, Python is just for a uh, small part for, I mean, for the machine learning okay. side. Uh, gotcha. For the rest is, uh, is, uh, is other kind of uh, things. And, and uh, yeah, and also the code, I mean, all, all of, uh, I would say 90% of our team is here in Udine with us. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's not so easy because we are, uh, you know, in a small city in Italy, uh, so finding developers are not super easy. But uh, I mean, we've been able to bring away uh, many talented developers from bigger companies uh, just because uh, it was boring working there and they have fun with us. <laughs> so uh, we've been quite good in bringing some talent over there. And we're very happy about that. Uh, also because, uh, you know, when you are in this space and you need to uh, build very fast and, you know, maybe change your strategy and so on, having a team spread around the world uh, can be tough. 
so having having all under the same roof, even if we work in the metaverse, uh, is very effective. Actually, I have to say. Are you guys doing team meetings in the metaverse? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, uh, we, we te- every every one of us tests it every day, and also we are creating uh, some live events. Uh, this is another thing I wanted to tell you about. So, uh, basically, I was telling you about the metaverse that we are building, but I was uh, missing to describe a point. So, when you are in our metaverse, you are not a passive spectator, but you are there with your own avatar. So, from a picture, uh, from a selfie, we create a 3D avatar uh, of you. Uh, with your face, we recreate the mesh of your face. And basically, you can meet over there. Uh, you can meet in this metaverse with other people and interact with them. You can create events. And in fact, this week, we, we are going to have uh, one of our first events uh, with a DJ that is playing. And so we will see all the people dancing uh, inside of VR metaverse. We are very excited for that. What, which, uh, uh, what, which headsets are you using or which... Um... No, we don't use uh, we, we don't use headsets. So basically, okay. the, the the old technology is based uh, is scaled okay. to work on mobile phones. Okay. Uh, just because basically anybody has a mobile phone in his pocket, while uh, headsets uh, unfortunately are not yet uh, so much widespread. So we have some proof of concept, for example, on Magic Leap and so on, but. Nobody really has Magic Leap. So uh, right now, everything is scaled to work on mobile phones. And we support a wide range of mobiles. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to say what mobile we support in, um, I mean, uh, outside of uh, the iOS, because we, we, of course, we support both Android and iOS, but you know that uh, Android has a very spread amount of devices. But to give you a reference, in terms of iOS, we support from uh, iPhone 6s onwards. So it's uh, a device hardware from since uh, six years ago. So uh, we really uh, try to make this technology as accessible as it's possible. Uh, because, of course, you need some computation because it's AR. Uh, but we try to make it, uh, I mean, available to, to the more people we can. So yes, uh, sorry if I went too far, but uh, no. basically to, uh, to, uh, to answer to answer you, yes, we we are meeting in the metaverse, and we've been uh, working a lot on this feature. Right now, we support two hundred thousand people uh, together that are will be spread in rooms of fifty people. Otherwise, uh, everything will explode. And uh, this is kind of complex technology because uh, your avatar, we if you have, for example, an iPhone X onwards, we trace also the movements of your face so you can see the facial expressions. And while you move in the physical space, your avatar will move uh, actually in the metaverse. Uh, so we use the accelerometer for that. So there is a lot of data going back and forth. Uh, but we believe that this creates a very compelling experience. And we see the potential of this. I mean, I was reading an article from Professor Galloway, uh, an article quite against Facebook, of course. Uh, But uh, there was a very nice chart over there where it showcased uh, that in a Fortnite event uh, with Travis, there was 28 million spectators. Uh, While, for example, in uh, Woodstock, there was 1 million spectators. Or in Coachella in 2017, 1.3 million. So the potential to bring people together with this kind of events in the metaverse is uh, just mind blowing. Well, the, so, the yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and you know the the theses that I personally work off of, which is uh, Web three um, will not be defined by by companies, will not be defined by brands, it will not be defined by governments, it will be defined by communities, <clears throat> and having the ability to bring people together 
quickly, easily, and efficiently. And, you know, right now we're in a mini metaverse. We're just using, you know, traditional cameras and, and some, some very basic streaming software. Um, but to get that to be more immersive will allow people to have a much more, um, you know, feeling of being in touch, feeling of being there. And so I really, um, you know, what you're doing is, is the precursor to essentially, you know, the ready player one, uh, type world where you're, yeah. you're in, you're engaged. Uh, you know, that, that was a much more, I think a free, free man or whatever the, the new movie was where they, they're wearing the glasses and the augmented reality, um, is, is a little bit more along the lines there, but, but clearly, um, you know, clearly this is, this is the direction people are going because they want to engage. Uh, but, but, you know, physical space is becoming a much harder barrier to get past in the world that we live in. Absolutely, yes, especially with COVID and so on. So, yeah, that is a, that is a, that is a point actually, and and so yeah, just uh, moving on. I mean, we we tried to also figure out uh, uh, what is the dimension of this opportunity. So, what is the scope of the use cases of our platform? So, I was, as I was mentioning, it's a, a, an horizontal platform. So, we don't focus on a single use case, but trying to look at the market out there, how, how it's made. So, a big part of this. I mean, this is just projection, so not nobody really knows. But I mean, you need to start from somewhere. So, uh, gaming will be good, will be great. Again, live events, as I was mentioning, retail, real estate, and education. So, this is um, uh, scopes that we are actually covering. Then, of course, there is something that we don't cover, so like healthcare, engineering, or military. But I mean, we believe that this is already a big chunk of the market. And just to understand how big is this market uh, just taking uh, one of these uh, i mean so for example retail that is a small one actually uh, so everybody says uh, that uh, of course retail malls are, are dead and so on that because everything is going to e-commerce and it's actually true uh, but even if it's true we still have 1.5 billion monthly visits uh, in malls uh, in U.S. only. So, uh, really, the, the opportunity to use augmented reality, for example, in malls, uh, uh, if you have this precise localization, augment shop windows, having avatars explain you about products and services, uh, or just uh, very simply navigation. So, having a device that understands where it is in the space and brings you with augmented reality to the location you want to go. I mean, it's it's just uh, no brainer to utilize. So, really, we believe we see uh, an incredible amount of use cases that are possible uh, with this technology, especially with this precise geolocalization and the fact that you can have this precise geolocalization also indoor. Uh, because yes, let's not forget that we spend uh, most of our time watching at uh, smartphones, uh, but also most of our time is indoor, not outdoor. So anybody that wants to build something meaningful on this need to solve the problem indoor, not only outdoor. So how does the token work? What's the, you know, what's the use cases? Where is it available? And, and kind of what's the, you know, and usually this is the case, where, what's the use case today and where is it going to progress in the future? Yeah, so um, basically in terms of token economics, uh, we are kind of uh, quite different from many other projects. We, uh, for example, for the launch of the token, uh, we use a technique that uh, is not very common. So we use an IBCO, so Initial Bonding Curve Offering. Uh, it's the same system uh, used for Avegochi, just to give you a reference. So basically, the way it works, there is a DAO that controls an automated market maker, so a bonding curve, yeah. that in our, ca- in our case is uh, uh, basically is controlled by, by, by our DAO. So the way it works, when somebody buys, 
um, the collateral, in our case, is DAI, uh, goes in this bonding curve and stays there. So the, uh, every new token costs more than the former, uh, but also this bonding curve not only sells tokens, also buys tokens. So basically, is a liquidity uh, a liquidity provider, the first liquidity provider for this market. So this has been working very well because we launched uh, it, the price started at 0.07. Now we are we are around 2.8 dollars, and the amount of collateral that is there now in this bonding curve that is controlled by the banker formula is uh, uh, around 10 million dollars. And of course, we cannot take it away. Uh, so that stays there. Uh, as a, a first liquidity provider. And then, of course, there is all the other markets. Uh, we are on Uniswap and so on. So in terms of what you... Uh, do you have any questions? Yeah, no. Who, so, um, and, and I love those tokenomics, and I have heard a little bit of that, and, and Stefan can counter, uh, can comment on that. But uh, who, what, what protocol is managing that? Is that your own or using uh, Curve or somebody else to... No, no, no. Basically, this is um, a standard uh, that basically is, uh, was created by the Aragon Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so basically, we just use that standard. So you, and you, you, built, you built your own contract on that's doing this? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But basically, we didn't build from zero. We just uh, used their code. Okay. And uh, of course, uh, and this bonding, this bonding curve is controlled by DAO that basically is controlled by token holders. So they can decide to uh, switch down, I mean, to, to close the, the bonding curve, uh, to change the parameters and so on. Of course, for that, there needs some coordination because uh, uh, there is a threshold of voting, but basically they have the power to do that. Um, yeah. So, so, the, so, you, so yeah. you really did go, so you really, so that was the question is you are on chain, you are, you know, uh, your code is 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 clear and um, you, are, you have decentralized uh, for the most part, to the to the token holders, away from uh, a centralized uh, governance. Yeah, yeah, and of course we're also gonna expand that because right now this DAO just controls the bonding curve. But uh, uh, as long as we mature more in our platform, we would like to give that to the community of token holders and also of land holders, basically uh, the power to control. Uh, the political decisions on this. Uh, so, for example, the, the OVR land governance, the publishing rights, and so on. So, some fine-tuned decisions. Uh, once, I mean, everything is launched, I mean, it's at the, uh, at the stage that is mature enough, uh, we would like to be the token holders to actually, and the, the OVR land owners to decide this. So, this will be on Polygon because you have the problem in Ethereum that voting will be costing a lot. <laughs> so, you, I mean, even if theoretically works very well, practically will will not work. Uh, but yes, that is also what is going to be deployed uh, uh, later on. So coming back to what is the use cases of the token, right now the first use case is buying the lands, because if you want to buy the land, you need to use the token. Uh, then, of course, uh, uh, there is this governance things that I was mentioning and will be also even more expanded in the future. And uh, what else, of course, uh, all the economical exchanges in our platform is intermediated from uh, the OVR token. And moreover, uh, since uh, three months now, uh, we start a burning mechanic so that 40% of what we cash in from the land sale, we use it to burn the token. So in the long run, I mean, uh, the token will become scarcer and scarcer and scarcer as we keep selling uh, those lands. What was what's your, uh, what's the total amount of coins right now? 
Uh, it's around uh, uh, 150 uh, million tokens. Okay. Uh, uh, so basically, uh, sorry, 105 million tokens. So, uh, of course, the supply uh, is not fixed okay. uh, because uh, basically the more people buy, uh, the more expensive it gets, but those get minted. And if people sell, those get burned. Okay. So it's, it's variable. And basically, there is no theoretical limit, but there is a practical limit because the price basically caps it. So, I mean, nobody will buy the token where it will be like $1,000. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, the basically, uh, I can share with you also the article with some technicals, but basically the, the curve of uh, the, the, the growth of price is exponential. So the more is the price, uh, the, the, lo the lower is the issuance. It's very similar to what happens with Bitcoin, if you think about that. So the issuance goes like this is a parabola that tends to a limit. Yeah, no, it, 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 I really do agree with, with the direction you took on this. Um, because again, it's, it's one of those things that you want long-term viability for, for an ecosystem. And it's, it's no fun when someone's, you know, their, their cost basis is a fraction of a cent and the next person, you know, trying to get in now, you know, maybe a year or two later, is you know it's fifty dollars a coin, and there's it's just it's it's kind of um, the ecosystem's already been destroyed before anyone's really gotten in there. So it's it's great to oh, it's yeah. great to reward the early adopters, of course. Um, but but you want to make sure that you know we're we're not even close to uh, to fully fully built out yet and deployed. No, absolutely. Yeah, very uh, cool. And, and, and hey, I'm yes. curious on the yeah. governance model. Do you okay? So I, I mean, I think one of the interesting things in governance, and Jay just kind of hit on that, is like. I mean, okay, right now, like, I mean, democracy is one person gets one vote, right? Like, I think where crypto is right now, it's more like oligarchy as in, like, one money gives you one vote, right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to handle that? Like, are you going with, like, landowners? Each, like, square gets a vote? Do you go with the tokens? Because it's kind of interesting. You kind of have, like, an interesting combination, no. I guess. You could have a bicameral system. Like, how, how do you go about that? Because it feels yes. like, in your case, not going tokens seems like it would actually make a fair bit of sense. Yeah, no, this is a very, no, thanks for this question. Actually, I was discussing about this with my co-founder yesterday. So, yeah, yeah. so we uh, are very interested in these mechanics of uh, our voting uh, things and oligarchies that are created uh, in, in blockchain in general. So we started actually experimenting with quadratic voting. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, it uh, was proposed by Vitalik. So basically... Quadratic voting uh, on the land, though, or on the token? Because no, I think no, that's so, the cool part here, because you can do quadratic voting on land. Yeah. So uh, basically, the experiment we are doing now uh, is not really for general governance, but it's because we have uh, uh, a competition to actually incentivize creators. So every month, uh, we have 10,000 OVR tokens that are distributed to the best creators. So we have this running every month. But to decide who is the winner, <laughs> you know, when there is money uh, in the game, that is always difficult to distribute. So it's like distributing a public good. So how you do that? So the way we are doing that is with this kind of voting system. So if you don't have tokens, you have 10 voting power. If you have tokens, you have 10 plus your tokens uh, with quadratic funding. So we've been experimenting this for two months and it's working quite good. And so this is for just for this uh, uh, kind of uh, distributing on this uh, competition. Uh, but it's good that we are testing that because we can understand what are the mechanics over there. So coming back to your question about the more general governance uh, of the platform. Uh, so if you buy a land, uh, you basically are a longer term investor, let's say, in the platform. Because, uh, of course, the token is very liquid. The land, that is a secondary market, but, of course, it's not as liquid as the token. So, 
uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, to us to actually uh, give more voting power uh, to the actual landowners because uh, they are the longer term investors. But at the same time, uh, we would like also to include uh, the token holders uh, because anyway, uh, the token has always been a way to vote. And I mean, this is also uh, the vision that we projected from the beginning. So now we are thinking about what is the best way to combine uh, these two uh, voting weights. Uh, but of course, yeah. uh, the fact that the landowners will vote uh, with the fact the more lands you have, the more you vote uh, will be sh for sure be there. And probably uh, we will also uh, not use the quadratic voting for that while applying probably the quadratic voting for the token holders. Uh, because also, uh, also from the statistic, I mean, for what we see, uh, there is not uh, such a skewed distribution for lands, while for the tokens, of course, things are very different. Oh, interesting. So the landholdership is a lot more concentrated with like more limited people. I guess that makes sense because they bought early, right? So you kind of end up with no, a, no, no, like no, a, a no, land owning no, class. No, sorry, maybe I uh, didn't explain myself correctly. No, so in the land side, uh, it's more evenly spread than in the token side. So uh, it oh, looks that's like, good to know. yeah. Yeah, of course, well, I guess, yeah, you know, if you did a bonding curve, that's always the problem, right? The first, the first people get into the bonding curve are going to get like a pretty ridiculous price, at least right in the beginning. So that makes yeah. sense that you would take more time to buy the land and you have less of the botting issue on that. That's super cool. Yeah, you know, I've been kind of hoping somebody like starts introducing like bicameral like voting systems, right? Where it's like House and Senate type situation where tokens are House and whatever land is Senate, right? Where you kind of end up to being able to balance those a little more. Like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of just the like wild like YOLO token voting. So I'm <laughs> kind of excited to see, especially somebody like with your political background of like, I'm super excited to see like the the oh, governance you come up with, especially too in this space, right? Because you have like a like a way more practical, politically impacted use case to some extent, um, oh. and especially with like I get your worldwide governance. Yeah, so, yeah that'd be and, super uh, cool. Yeah, and absolutely. Also, you know, there is different decisions to make here because, uh, like, just to give you an example. Uh, that decision that probably we don't want to make. <laughs> so no, we want to let the community decide. For example, uh, censorship. So uh, you know the, the system. I mean, what we are going towards is an unstoppable system. So right now, the assets, the 3D assets, are hosted in our database. But basically, in the next three months, we're going to deploy IPFS. So the assets will be out there and will be basically unstoppable. Uh, they have just published. So now, what if somebody publish some? I mean, uh, content that is offensive. So we can uh, draw a, a very strict line on some things like, I know, pedophile or stuff like that. Of course, that is forbidden. But what if there is some political thing or something that is not so clear if it's uh, something that is need to be forbidden or not? Who can make this decision? So we want uh, the community to make these decisions uh, for uh, understanding what uh, is some content that should be hosted and what is some content that should not be hosted. So it's very important to create a way to distribute this uh, decision-making. So, so real quick on yeah, that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah ahead, no, so real quick on that, cause it brings up a good point as you're moving on there. You, you have, um, you're also doing some, some, uh, you have your own nodes, correct? Yeah. So uh, not yet, okay. uh, but the idea is basically is that uh, we will have the nodes to actually host the content. So 
the point is that we want uh, to build this as an unstoppable platform and we would like that even if we disappear in five years because before we need to develop a lot but let's say we, we disappear we would like to be the system to survive us okay so to, in order to do that we need to create uh, uh, a hosting of the contents that doesn't depend totally on us and of course uh, the ownership is already out there and so on so uh, in order to achieve that, the only way that we see right now is IPFS. Uh, but IPFS, of course, is very cool, but also you need to answer to another question. So IPFS is good, but you need to serve content uh, with uh, fast speed. And because, uh, you know, you're having the experience, you're the final user, you need to download very fast the content. So basically what we are doing, we're forking IPFS and creating a system where nodes uh, are rewarded if they serve the content fast enough. So it's a complex task. It's, it's not easy because uh, to decentralize this is difficult. It's very easy to make it centralized. Uh, but this is probably uh, a one year, a one more year uh, development to achieve that. So in three months, we will come out with 10 nodes uh, that actually can be owned by anybody that stake enough tokens. And later on, uh, we will try to make this even more decentralized. So because the, the, the difficult thing here is the meritocracy about uh, this hosting. So uh, who needs to get the rewards uh, for the fact that gets fast uh, hosting of the content? That, so, yeah. What, a question for you on that. Like, I, this is going to be like heresy, right? But like, why focus on distributing that right off the bat? Why decentralize now? Because it's going to be a nearly unsolvable task anyways. Like, why not just say, okay, yeah, we'll centralize the image hosting. We'll actually make it fast and way more use, usable. Like, why go there right off the bat? Because I, I don't know. I feel like there's always, I mean, no, decentralization is great, but I feel like the ownership is yeah. the key part here way more than the serving of it, right? Well, I mean, we can, we can discuss about that. So, so yes and no, no, because, of course, uh, the ownership and then uh, the point is the ownership of what, no? Because maybe you have the ownership to a pointer, to a file that doesn't exist anymore, no? So, uh, uh, so basically, actually, you know, it's nice what you say, uh, but because in our vision, we are late in this, no? Because we were telling about this IPFS from the beginning. And then, of course, uh, the, the first thing for us, the most priority was to give a good experience. So we say, okay, let's first build it centralized and then try to decentralize. So uh, as I mentioned again, for the next year, our priority is to build a system that performs so that uh, the user experience is perfect. And then, I mean, we will try to decentralize that. Maybe we fail, maybe we will stay with a semi-centralized system, uh, but at least until uh, we govern this protocol, uh, we will prioritize uh, actually the user experience. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I want to move back to the censorship issue. I mean, you have a really interesting problem there because, like, you have to have censorship. Otherwise, you'll just end up with, like, whatever, like, Nazi areas of Berlin, right? I mean, like, you're going to have, like, a huge problem with this. So how yeah. do you think about that? Like, how do you control that? Like, even with community voting, it feels like that's going to inevitably be, like, a huge challenge. So how, how do you address that? Yeah, so basically, uh, there is uh, there is various levels at, uh, where you can control that. So um, right now, what we're working on uh, is a censure. Uh, so right now, everything is in our service, so it's not a big deal. We control that. So once uh, it's going to be more and more decentralized, and also, I mean, once you publish something or IPFS, it's not that you can really take it away. The censorship part will be in the client side. So. Uh, you use our app to visualize the content. 
and there will be a blacklist uh, of contests that uh, we we don't want to be visualized. And of course, uh, it will be a community effort and also our effort to try to check and find when the, the content is not appro uh, appropriate. Uh, so this is really, huh? yeah. Uh, and of course, we need to see how it will go because uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult pro problem. But again, the point uh, probably is not really to censor the content, but uh, to where to draw the line. So while for some things it's yeah. very easy to draw a line, for other things are, is not so easy. So on our side, uh, I mean, we don't have we, we don't have a, a specific preference. So uh, as you, you was mentioning, Nazi things. So for us, Nazi things are bad, but maybe the community uh, has a, a more nuanced uh, position on that. So we need to uh, really allow uh, to that the landowners, the platform owners, the people that are the stakeholders of this platform to uh, decide what they want to have on this platform. Yeah, and so wait, so is your strategy just not display it? So basically, if I have a client that says, I don't want him to see Nazi stuff, then it just doesn't display it. It's just an empty square, basically. Correct. Or like, and so it still exists, though. Inter yes, yeah. So you're not yes. worried about that. Um, interesting, huh? No, because, you know, as long as we are hosting the content, I mean, we can just erase it. But we, if we are, if it's not us hosting the content, I mean, you, you can upload anything on IPFS. So uh, the only way to stop it is uh, in the client side. But you're saying the land or the governance cannot say, well, that square, those people suck. Let's ban them, right? Can the group at large, like, actually get rid of shitty content or not really? No, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, you have a reference on what is the file and what is the land where this file is displayed. So, I mean, uh, basically you can, uh, I mean, signal that and that can be banned. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be banned. Yeah. Huh? You know, it's, it's really a, um, and, and listen, this is not a, a OVR problem. This is an overall, you know, web, oh, yeah, web, yeah, web three problem that I, I think is you're, you're really doing a good job of addressing, uh, in a, in a very, you know, diplomatic way. Yeah. Um, you know, cause censorship yeah, of any right. site, it's, you know, if somebody wants to be in a, a horrible person, they can go be a horrible person. I just don't want to see it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course. No, but, you know, this is, uh, of course, is that right now is a theoretical problem. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we believe that it's nice to start thinking about that. So right now it's not a problem, but uh, it could be that. So, uh, I mean, I think it's important to have at least a plan. So then let's see how we play it. Right now, uh, we have uh, 8,500 experiences that have been uploaded by 2,000 creators. And yeah, uh, for the moment, nothing bad happened. So we didn't have to censor anything. Uh, but you know, who knows? It's coming. Don't worry. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm about to say, I'm sure you will be disappointed imminently. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Diego, you also in your white paper, like there's a lot of AI going on. And when we're talking yeah. about, you know, again, a representation of, of myself, in the metaverse or open verse or whatever, whatever we're going to go with uh, here in the future, you know, how are you going to handle essentially not having that, that um, just dead character look where they're just, you know, moving around and it's, it's just a bunch of, you know, essentially 2d characters that are turned 3d, but have no emotion or anything to them. Yeah. So basically in our, I mean, uh, company, we have uh, a lot of knowledge uh, also on NLP side. So this, uh, branch of uh, AI that works on uh, language. 
So, and uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of that, but basically in the last three years, there was uh, some very important turning points on that technology, specifically in 2018, um, this new architecture called Transformers was created, was uh, launched with uh, uh, a paper called uh, Attention is All You Need from Google uh, that open source uh, this technology. Uh, and so basically, since then, there, were, there, there has been huge uh, improvements on what these algorithms can do. Specifically, there are some algorithms of the family that are called GPT. Maybe you heard the GPT-3 by OpenAI. And basically, these algorithms are massive. And they have a massive knowledge and are capable of creating uh, language, creating text uh, that is astonishing. For example, GPT-3 can create uh, small articles that pass the Turing test. So not for conversations, but for writing some text. Uh, people cannot recognize that th those was written by a machine. So uh, we, what we are doing, basically, we are taking the open source side of this technology uh, specifically, we are working with GPTJ, and uh, we are allowing uh, uh, to combine this with uh, our avatars. So, uh, what we're going to be releasing is these uh, avatars that can actually be uh, uh, actually configured. So, you can actually create your own intelligence. So, the way it works is that these algorithms retain a huge amount of uh, knowledge by themselves because they were trained on the last 10 years of internet, all books that have been digitalized and the world Wikipedia. So they have a lot of inner knowledge. So you can actually train the, those uh, with small lines of code or prompt. So in this way, we are going to create an interface so that is very easy to create uh, your own uh, artificial agent that you can interact with with voice. So this is a project we've been working uh, since the beginning that was already in the white paper, actually. Uh, but then we realized it was more difficult than we expected. So, uh, But we are at a very good level right now. So we believe in the next uh, two to three months, uh, we will come out with the first versions. And probably you saw already something like that in a blockchain. For example, Aletheia is doing something similar or Altered State Machines is talking about that. So just to give you a reference, the difference uh, between our project, for example, and Aletheia's is that Aletheia uses GPT-3, uh, while in, in our case, we, op we use a totally open source software, so GPT-J. And uh, in their case, uh, I mean, uh, they have their 2D characters. In our case, we have uh, the full 3D avatars that live in our metaverse that use this technology. And also it's interesting because I was, as I was mentioning you, these um, uh, algorithms retain a lot of knowledge. So, for example, you can also use those to extract uh, contextualized uh, knowledge about the location. So let's say that again, I always talk about the Colosseum, but, you know, I'm from Italy. So you have an avatar in the Colosseum. You ask uh, the avatar questions about the Colosseum. This avatar has been trained on Wikipedia and can answer you about the Colosseum because as a, it has an inner knowledge. So you don't need even to train uh, about that. So if it's something that uh, is out there that is very common, uh, known uh, in the uh, uh, internet space, the algorithm actually will know about that. Fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. So much technology, and and you know, again, the, there's so much foresight that you're putting into the long term viability of this project versus just a very quick, you know, how can we how can we create something cool now? Um, you're really putting a lot in, into this. Um, Stefan, did you have any other uh, last questions on on OVR before we move on to the last section? I'm excited for the alpha, so let's go to that. What, what what's cool? You're in the space. You clearly interact with a lot of amazing protocols. What What are you seeing? You know, kind of you know, outside of of your own project that you just think is really amazing, or or uh, stuff that you're looking at how to tie into to OVR. Well, so uh, I, I cannot point you to a specific project, <laughs> but uh, uh, and you know, because also this space is moving so fast, uh, but um, I'm I'm I mean, I always been fascinated. Uh, uh, also, not only about this metaverse side, but also about the DeFi side of blockchain, and also the way that uh, I mean, uh, if, we, if we if we need to see something big that is going to happen in the future, and we we'll keep developing, I see that on one side is DeFi, and on the other side, I also see all the progress that is going to be made in uh, DAOs. So, in the fact of using DAOs to actually uh, organize. Uh, communities and societies. Now, so uh, I, I've been very fascinating about uh, the combination of uh, DAOs with NFTs and with DeFi. Uh, lately, uh, I spent like probably ten days of understanding how Olympus DAO was working, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or, or not working. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, or not working. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, either it uh, will recover or not. I mean, it's still uh, such a. Uh, fascinating mechanic uh, that was creating and controlled by a DAO. So, uh, so, 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 on, so on that note, real quick, while we're talking about Olympus, and, and again, the, the code that they wrote and, and what they did is, is revolutionary and it's amazing. You know, the rise and fall of it have, have you know, there's a lot of disagreement on, on what the cause of it is. And without, um, you know, there's no financial advice here, but just opinions. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think was, was kind of the, the missing point that, allowed that, that would have allowed them to hold uh, their liquidity a little bit better? Well, um, no, I, <laughs> I wish I had that answer. I mean, uh, in my in my view, I mean, the, uh, the incentive mechanics uh, uh, was just uh, was that genius. Uh, but of course, probably not genius enough. <laughs> and but still, still is incredible, because if you look at that, for example, it's still accumulating liquidity, even uh, if basically went down to the to the base price. So uh, maybe it's not uh, it's not really ended. But uh, I, I, I was also very fascinated about the way this uh, protocol has been forked. Yep. Uh, also, I was uh, very, very fascinated about uh, what was done uh, with these uh, with carbon credits with Klimadao. Yep. Also, that didn't work that much, but also that idea was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, I love uh, I love dreamers. I, I love these people that actually have big ideas and like them. For example, their idea was amazing. I mean, the fact of uh, making the cost of carbon credits higher tend to defy. It's just uh, you know mind blowing, amazing. So, uh, so when I see these examples, I really keep dreaming about uh, what's the potential uh, over there. The fact that actually we can have a real impact on society, uh, moving from DAOs, DeFi, and uh, basically all these incentive models. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, my alpha is uh, in the fact that uh, probably we will see more and more things happening around DAOs. Uh, and this new way to actually organize, at the end of the day, is a tool 
to actually organize society in a different way. And so the, and, and the, the exciting thing is that uh, the experimentation field uh, is borderless. And since basically, uh, at least for now, we don't have regulators stopping us in uh, experimenting over there. <laughs> maybe, I mean, in your, maybe in your side of the world, but not where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, but still, uh, I mean, people do things. So the, the, this this thing, I mean, uh, uh, allows for a huge uh, amount of creativity. And so we are moving so fast that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I, 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 mean, uh, I was joking with some of my friends and they, they tell me that I'm a DeFi boomer <laughs> because uh, I was really into DeFi back uh, in, uh, you know, from uh, the DeFi, DeFi summer from two summers ago. But now, I mean, that is just uh, boring stuff for them. So uh, it's amazing that in one year you become a boomer uh, in DeFi. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that has to do with, uh, you know, cr- blockchain and Web3 moves at 4x the normal speed uh, of any other asset class out there because there's there's no chance to sleep, there's no weekends, there's no holidays. Um, it, oh, it, yeah. it, it never shuts down. So, you know, it is easily the fastest asset class I've ever, I've no. ever touched. Yeah, yeah, and also another thing that I think we we need to realize that is that uh, these new primitives that are thrown here uh, in the crypto space uh, takes time to be understood. Like, like uh, let's take the NFT standard. So NFT went out in 2017 and basically became a meme of the failure of uh, of Ethereum when uh, basically. Uh, the crypto kitties clogged the Ethereum network. I remember about that meme, and then it kind of was forgotten yeah. uh, for like two to three years. And then somebody understood that this was very good for uh, works of art, and the world they wake up about that. So, uh, I mean, uh, and uh, of course NFTs are here to stay because uh, basically they are the building blocks of this Web three ownership uh, of things that are not tokens. So, uh, I mean, uh, I'm very very. Uh, bullish on, I mean, all the things that will be done uh, with the primitives that are being, uh, that are created here. So DAOs, uh, again, NFTs, uh, DeFi primitives. I mean, uh, the things that we're going to see coming out for that, we cannot really imagine right now. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, that, that, that's why I'm really, I'm really excited uh, about this space. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, where, where would you like people to reach you? Uh, how do you want people to reach out? Obviously, you have um, uh, your protocol up and running and, and apps up and running. But in the same sense, um, you know, where's the best place to find you guys? Yeah, but so uh, on Telegram, of course, uh, and on Discord, uh, I would say that right now we are more active on Telegram, but I mean, both both are fine. And please uh, go to the links through the website because they try to scam everybody every day. So let's go use the, uh, the official links. And yes, I mean, uh, we are happy to, I mean, you to, you to try the platform, download the app, uh, uh, test it out, tell us what you think about that, how we can make it better and I mean, let's do that together. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for swinging by. We absolutely appreciate it. Uh, Why Wales? Uh, again, this is OVR, and welcome to the new uh, new version of the augmented reality metaverse. So we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thank have you. Guys. Have a great day. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. 
an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.